It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 403 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo Community Podcast. This episode is called Lilith is Here. It is March 24, 2023, and this is Jen. I've got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about, mostly about the beta and the open beta, but there's other cool stuff in here, too, that I think is also important. So I'm going to start with an article from IGN titled Growing Up and Gaming with a Disability. This is written by Grant Stoner uh, in a section of IGN called Access Denied, oddly enough. Uh, That actually seems appropriate. I've got some disabilities. My husband has some disabilities. Sometimes access denied is a thing. So they, they picked a good title for this type of writing. Uh, there's a little blurb. It says, Before games included accessibility options, an Xbox 360 controller modded with a popsicle stick was the only way for me to play, said Grant Stoner. I'll read you a little bit of this. It's very easy for disabled people to feel betrayed when a game lacks proper accessibility, and rightfully so. How can studios expect us to celebrate these innovations and victories if we still can't? play their games. But there is one lesson I've learned from personally playing and professionally critiquing some of our favorites. It's that major developments should be celebrated, even if it means potentially missing out on brand new experiences. When I write, I tend to avoid including my own perspective aside from reviews. I've always felt uncomfortable discussing personal stories, especially since I share a space with over 400 million disabled players, each deserving to highlight how the game's industry is helping or failing them. But in some instances, I think sharing personal stories is almost cathartic and crucial when exploring the the necessity of accessibility. So for this month's Access Denied, I'm breaking my rule to tell you about my growth and evolving understanding of accessibility as a disabled player. My birthday is in March, March 19 to be exact. Throughout my 29 years of life, I've gamed on just about every system, from handhelds like the Game Boy Advance to my current PC, I familiarized myself with some of the best games this industry has offered. As a young child, I never had restrictions. Despite living with a neuromuscular disability, spinal muscular atrophy type 2, the muscles in my hands and fingers were strong enough to allow me to play across a variety of consoles. My relationship with my disability in games was incredibly black and white. I either played until I needed my older brother for assistance, or I would just return a game to my local store if the barriers proved to be too much for my hands. And before my disease progressed, I rarely needed to research new releases. That is, until the release of the Xbox 360 and Xbox Live, when the reality of my limitations became more prevalent. I met my current and closest friend group within the halls of Nacht der Unten, a fast-paced action the fast-paced action of running from and gunning down zom- uh, Nazi zombies introduced new challenges that transcended beyond Call of Duty World at War. 
more. For the first time in my gaming life, I was able to fully utilize a controller. Not only did the shape and size of the 360 pad prevent me from reaching crucial buttons like triggers, the actuation force for the LS and RS buttons, left, right, uh, was far stronger than anything I'd have, I've experienced. Before I told my friends about my disability, I consistently fabricated excuses as to why I was unable to sprint, use melee, and even aim certain weapons like bolt-action rifles. For a time, I even believed my own lies. I didn't want to accept my weakened state as a product of my disability, especially as it impacted my only form of independence. Appreciating accessibility. I'll read you parts of this. World at War acted as an accessibility awakening. I was unable to simply abandon the game that my friends obsessed over without risking losing the ability to play with them. So I began scouring through the options, hoping to find a specific control scheme that would suit my needs. Unfortunately, nothing worked. It took my brother taping a popsicle stick to the back of my controller, allowing me to effectively use both triggers. It was a unique solution for a unique problem, one that still didn't fix everything and angered me. World at War could not provide its own answers. That simple modification of adding a popsicle stick was a lifeline when extensive menus and accessible design practices were still within their infancy, and with every new 360 controller, my brother would fashion another popsicle stick to its side, letting me enjoy the entire lifespan of what continues to be my favorite console generation. As my disability progressed and my hand strength gradually lessened, shooters like Call of Duty no longer appeared on my shelves. Instead, fast-paced games found a new home on my PC, where the ease of increasing my mouse's sensitivity and creating custom keybinds was far easier for my needs, and as I devoted more time to playing on the computer, my hands became accustomed to my setup, making it much more difficult for me to seamlessly transition between systems. This became particularly evident with the release of The Last of Us Part 2. And there's more to that if you want to see it. I like to highlight accessibility because I have, uh, I have problems. I have a ton of allergies that uh, can really make me sick if I eat something I'm allergic to or if the wind is really high and blowing pollen everywhere or if the pollen counts high. I also have fibromyalgia, which can give you muscle spasms at any time for no clear reason. So I kind of try to highlight people who are explaining what things are like for them. And since this is a gaming show for, you know, for the most part, um, I decided to include that. There's more though, and everything that I talk about in this show will show up on the Shattered Soulstone website. And you can check out the rest of this article for yourself. GameSpot has an article titled, Phil Spencer Talks Xbox Mobile Store Planned for 2024. Written by Darren Bonthus on March 20. Microsoft's mobile game store could launch as early as next year, the company's head of gaming, Phil Spencer, has said, thanks to the new Digital Markets Act legislation that forces Apple and Google to allow users on its platforms to access apps from sources other than the App Store and Google Play Store. Spencer believes this will create a, quote, huge opportunity, end quote, for Xbox. Quote, the Digital Markets Act that's coming, those are the kinds of things that we are planning for, Spencer said in an interview with the Financial Times. Um, I think it's a huge opportunity. We want to be in a position to offer Xbox and content from both of, both us and our third-party partners across any screen where somebody would want to play. Today, we can't do that on mobile devices, but we want to build towards a world that we think will be coming where those devices are opened up. Signed into law back in September of 2022 by the European market, the Digital Markets Act will officially become applicable on May 2nd. Microsoft has made a big push into the mobile scene with its cloud gaming efforts 
recently, and the company's plan to acquire Activision Blizzard is fueled primarily by its goal to increase its foothold in the mobile market. If the deal is approved, Microsoft will own Candy Crush developer King, as well as Call of Duty Mobile, lucrative properties in a market that is estimated to have 238.7 million, quote, active, end quote, users in the U.S. alone. Uh, we don't have a lot of creative capability that's built that built hit mobile games. We really started the discussions internally, at least, on Activision Blizzard, on the capability they had on mobile, and then PC with Blizzard, Spencer said last year. Those were the two things that were really driving our interest. And some of the rest of this is, um, there's a paragraph that's kind of filling you in if you are new to this entire topic, which I assume if you've been listening to this show, you probably heard about it already. Video Games Chronicle wrote an article on the 21st of May titled, Microsoft says 10 years is, quote, sufficient for Sony to develop Call of Duty alternatives. There's a blurb. Xbox tells UK regulator there is no basis for offering Sony a longer licensing agreement. This was written by who wrote this thing? Uh, Tom Ivan. Okay, Microsoft has said it believes 10 years is long enough for Sony to develop rival offerings to the Call of Duty franchise. Regulators, including the UK's Competition and Markets Authority, have expressed concerns that Microsoft's $69 billion acquisition of Activision Blizzard could significantly reduce PlayStation's ability to compete, given that it would see Microsoft gain ownership of the Call of Duty series, which Sony has called, quote, irreplaceable, end quote. In a bid to gain approval for the deal, Microsoft has told regulators it's willing to make each new Call of Duty game available on PlayStation the same day it comes to Xbox for a 10-year period with full content and feature parity. In a newly published document, the company has told the CMA that it believes a decade is long enough for Sony to create alternatives to Call of Duty. Quote, at the remedies hearing, the CMA asked Microsoft if the 10-year duration is sufficient and whether it would be a cliff edge for Sony at the end of this period. The 10-year period is redacted. There's a bracket that says redacted. We don't know what that word is, but that's what Microsoft wrote. Quote, Microsoft considers that period of 10 years is sufficient for Sony as a leading publisher and console platform to develop alternatives to COD. The 10-year term will extend into the next console generation, and another word has been redacted. Moreover, the practical effect of the remedy will go beyond the 10-year period since games downloaded in the final year of the remedy can continue to be played for the lifetime of that console and beyond with backwards compatibility. In its dealings with regulators, Sony has argued that it would be impossible for it to replace Call of Duty if the series was no longer available on PlayStation. In response to questions submitted by Brazil's Administrative Council for Economic Defense, which subsequently approved the deal, Sony labeled Call of Duty, quote, an essential game, a blockbuster, a triple-A-type game that has no rival. It wrote, according to a 2019 study, the importance of Call of Duty to entertainment in general is indescribable. Really? Indescribable? <laughs> no one can say what this is? Come on goes on, uh, the brand was the only video game IP to break into the top 10 of all entertainment brands among fans, joining powerhouses such as Star Wars, Game of Thrones, and Lord of the Rings. Call of Duty is so popular that it influences users' choice of console, and its community of loyal users is entrenched enough that even if a competitor had the budget to develop a similar product, it would not be able to rival it. So this is Sony having a fit. 
But speaking of the um, Competition and Markets Authority, which is the UK's regulator, they uh, posted a press release today on the 24th of March. It's titled CMA Narrows Scope of Concerns in Microsoft Activision Review. The CMA has today issued updated provisional findings in its assessment of Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Activision. So I'll read you some of this. In February, the Competition and Markets Authority, CMA, published provisional findings setting out that the deal raises competition concerns in relation to both console gaming and cloud gaming services in the UK. The publication of the provisional findings initiated a period of consultation in which the CMA invited responses to those findings from interested parties and continued to gather further information. The CMA has received a significant amount of new evidence in response to its original provisional findings, having considered this new evidence carefully, together with the wide range of information gathered before those provisional findings were issued, the CMA Inquiry Group has updated its provisional findings and reached the provisional conclusion that overall, the transaction will not result in a substantial lessening of competition in relation to console gaming in the UK. The most significant new evidence provided to the CMA relates to Microsoft's financial incentives to make Activision's games, including Call of Duty, parentheses COD, exclusive to its own consoles. While the CMA's original analysis indicated that this strategy would be profitable under most scenarios, new data parentheses, which provides better insight into the actual purchasing behavior of COD gamers, end of parentheses, indicates that this strategy would be significantly loss-making under any plausible scenario. On this basis, the updated analysis now shows that it would not be commercially beneficial to Microsoft to make COD exclusive to Xbox following the deal, but that Microsoft will instead still have the incentive to continue to make the game available on PlayStation. Goes on a little bit from there. There's a uh, person named Martin Coleman, a chair of independent panel of experts conducting this investigation. He had a couple of things to say. One is provisional findings are a key aspect of the merger process and are explicitly designed to give the businesses involved and any interested third parties the chance to respond with new evidence before we make a final decision. He also said, having considered the additional evidence provided, we have now provisionally concluded that the merger will not result in a substantial lessening of competition in console gaming services because the cost to Microsoft of withholding Call of Duty from PlayStation would outweigh any gains from taking such action. Also, our provisional view is that this deal raises concerns in the cloud gaming market is not affected by today's announcement. Our investigation remains on course for completion by the end of April. So that's kind of a good sign that they're like, oh yeah, okay, you're not just going to like take Call of Duty away from PlayStation and everyone else. And if they looked at Twitter, they would see that there's all these companies that I talked about in a previous episode that have... Uh, been granted access to Call of Duty after the acquisition of Activision Blizzard happens. So, I mean, you know, I think things are moving in the right direction for that. Eurogamer has an article titled, Beta Has Become a Twisted Word, Blizzard Responds to Diablo 4 Early Access Feedback, Cues, Balance, The Butcher, Couch Co-op, Dungeon Design, and more written by Robert Purchase or Purchase, I'm not sure. He's a senior staff writer. There's a lovely picture of Anarius in the top of this article. It's an interview with Rod Ferguson and um, 
Is it just Rod Ferguson? Is it? Oh, Joe Shelley's in there too. So they're talking about a lot of different questions. I'll read you just the intro of this. And if you're interested in the whole review or the whole uh, interview, you can check that out on ShatteredSoulStone.com or Eurogamer.net if you want to go there directly. There'll be a link to it in my show notes. More than a million people crashed into the Diablo into the Diablo 4 early access beta over the weekend, myself included, says this writer. And I hopped on a train to London yesterday to talk to Blizzard about how it went. I spoke to Diablo general manager Rod Ferguson and Diablo 4 game director Joe Shelley, and we managed to cover most of the hot topics from the weekend. We talked about the queues, which were a particular problem on the opening Friday. We talked about whether any of the classes will be rebalanced now. We talked about the surprise butcher ambushes we talked about couch co-op and why it's not available on pc and we talked about dungeons feeling laborious as we traipsed back and forth they and they had some eye-opening things to say about each topic the 6th june release of diablo 4 is coming around quickly and with only a fifth of the game world on show here that's a lot left to polish that's amid concerns over incentivized crunch in order to get it done and periodic staff walkouts as unionization efforts seek to tackle unfair working conditions and of course there's apparently never ending Microsoft buyout saga looming large from far from ideal working conditions. Remember, the D4 beta opens to everyone this coming weekend. So this was written before that. It's obviously out now as I'm, as I'm you know, mentioning it here. Uh, and we'll include the Necromancer and the Druid classes that were unavailable in the early access beta. We have a Diablo 4 beta guide uh, and all of that. And there's a couple of questions here. And so I'll just I'll just read you like two of them. So Eurogamer asks, did you have a metric for success for this weekend? Something in particular that you were looking at? And if you did have one, did you meet it? Rod Ferguson says, yeah, part of the number of players, part of it is the number of players. Beta has been a twisted word that has become marketing beta, which means demo. And for us, this was a true beta because we wanted to be able to test that load. And what does it mean to get a lot of players in? And Friday was a little bumpy because of that. But the way that we looked at it is the issues we find now are issues that will be a lot smoother at launch. And so this weekend was to prepare for for next weekend and the next weekend pr prepares for launch. We ended up doing six really big hot fixes that fixed dozens of issues. So we saw server stability come back up and the queues went down. And so we're feeling really good about that particular aspect. So we had goals around how many people were going to be playing because we really wanted to test the servers. And so we've exceeded the number of players we thought we were going to get. How many people were playing? Rod Ferguson says, I don't have final numbers, but well over a million people were playing this weekend. This one had restrictions because you either had to be part of a promotion, that would be the KFC thing, I would assume, or you had to pre-order. And so next weekend where it's fully open again, we want to have millions of people hopefully playing. There, is there any restriction on numbers next weekend? No, no. On PlayStation, Xbox, PC, on all of our supported platforms, anybody who wants to play can play. So the writer says, so my weekend was spent playing the game in couch slash same screen co-op which I didn't get the chance to play back in December I must say I love those independent menus in Diablo 4 each of the two players in couch co-op can independently call up their inventory and skill panels on their half of the screen both of them in unison both Joe Shelley and Rod Ferguson said yes writer says because having to stop while someone took over the screen to alter their build before in Diablo 3 was uh 
Joe Shelley says, you have no idea how much work it is to make sure all of those UIs can work on the screen at the same time. Ha ha. And Rod Ferguson said, having a teenager who I played with, every time he leveled up, he wanted to change the skills. It would drive me or they'd be in the shop for 30 minutes and I'm falling asleep waiting for my turn. <laughs> and it goes on from there. It's a pretty good interview overall from what I've seen. And then I'm going to go back to this one, your guide to the Diablo 4 open beta, which uh, many of you, uh, if you're listening to the sound of my voice, you're probably in it playing and having a good time. I'll get to that in a minute here. It's mostly the same stuff. They haven't updated a lot on that one because this was originally posted uh, on March 13, and there were some updates in here. But what I want to focus on here is as you get towards the bottom, it's uh, got some specifications for open beta. So it's titled open beta PC specs and it's the minimum requirements you need for PC. So if you've been trying to run this and it's not working on your PC, this could be why. This is what they're uh, asking for. Settings to run the Diablo 4 open beta at 1080p native resolution slash 720p render resolution, low graphic settings, 30 FPS. Operating system must be 64-bit Windows 10 at the least. Uh, processor Intel Core i5 uh, 2500K or AMD FX 8100. Memory 8 gigabytes of RAM. Graphics NVIDIA GeForce GTX 660 or AMD Radeon 89280. DirectX version 12. Storage SSD with 45 gigabytes GB uh, available space and internet broadband connection. Recommended specifications for PC. Those were the minimums that I just read off. So the recommended specs are operating system 64-bit Windows 10, processor Intel Core i5-4670K or AMD R3-1300X, memory 16 GB RAM, graphics NVIDIA GeForce GTX 970 or AMD Radeon RX 470, DirectX version 12, storage uh, is the same as before, and then the broadband connection. So that's how that's going to work. It says Diablo 4 will attempt to run on hardware below minimum specifications, inclu including HDDs, dual core CPUs, and integrated GPUs. However, the game experience may be significantly diminished. So this is, it wants a lot of stuff. Um, the open beta early download. You're supposed to be able to download this thing, but I'm telling you, I'll get to that in a minute here. Um, okay, so for the PC, you launch the Battle.net client. If Diablo 4 is not already in your favorites bar, you can click it and that kind of, you know, gets you in. Once you get to the Diablo 4 game page, click the drop-down menu under game version and select Diablo 4 beta option. Click the blue button that says install. The game will install and once it's available, click play to launch. Xbox, it says this. Launch the Xbox store and search for Diablo 4 open beta select download. For PlayStation, it also says launch the PlayStation store and search for Diablo 4 open beta select download. So I tried this on the Xbox earlier today and nothing happened. When I got in, there was a screen from the uh, the previous beta that was saying, oh, well, the beta's over, but, you know, the open beta is going to start on you know and had the date and everything and it was well past the time that it was supposed to be starting and i couldn't get this thing to stop it was just sitting there doing the same thing over and over because it thinks i'm still connected to that 
early beta, which I hope I'm not by now. I mean, I kind of took a break from Xbox for a while, hoping it would sort itself out or something like that, but it hasn't. So I don't know if I'm going to get into the open beta at all. I'll try again after the show, but it's kind of frustrating to have this whole scenario go around and around. And as far as select download, there was nothing I could see that said select download on there. Nothing at all. Now, it's possible that I came in at a time when there were thousands of players trying to get into the queue or waiting in the queue or something like that. Or maybe the whole server crashed. I mean, I don't know. I'll probably never know until I get in there to see what happened or if it's still working or anything. But I'm kind of frustrated at the moment. I mean, I got into the other one, so that's cool. At least I got to do something. But to not be able to get into this one because the Xbox is having a fit is problematic. So there we are. Um, and that's pretty much all that I'm going to pull from this particular article. Okay, this is from March 17. And this is some stuff from Pez Radar talking about the, um, the queues and the server disconnects. And I think this is talking about, it was updated on March 18th. So I think it's talking about the previous beta. And he wrote, hi, everyone. I just wanted to provide an update regarding the queues players are experiencing this morning. The team is working through some issues behind the scenes that have been affecting players and causing them to be disconnected from the servers. For the time being, we are managing the rate of players entering the game until we have a full fix for the disconnection issues. This is done so we can ensure stability amongst players who get into the game after the queue process. If you are in queue, we ask that you stay in queue to ensure that you do not reset your timer. We plan to have more accurate queue count Countdowns in place for open beta next weekend, as noted in our known issues post. We are actively working on these issues for this weekend. Once they are resolved, we will be able to increase the influx of players and queue times will be significantly reduced. We will be updating this thread once we have additional information. So that's what was happening when you were like sitting in the queue for a really long time. Like I think I said this before on when I was uh, doing um, group quests with Joe Brums that you know my first queue was 57 minutes long and the second one it rolled into a second one that was 120. You know. I mean, that's a lot. Anyway, Pez Radar comes back and continues. Um, Hello, everyone. We want to thank everyone for the overwhelming response to the early access beta weekend. We love seeing the excitement about the story, music, art, gameplay, and more. These beta tests are important for the development process as we march towards the launch of Diablo 4 in June and the reporting and feedback from players is invaluable. Please see below an update on the situation regarding queues and some of the items the team is tracking and actively working on to resolve. Players are sometimes unable to join a party with other players while in-game. Players that are dropped from a game receive an error that their party does not exist. Rubber banding occurring with players while transitioning between zones. High RAM and GPU usage occurring on select hardware. While the team tackles these specific items and more, we are also managing the flow of players in-game via our queue. Many players have successfully logged into the game, but we are aware that some have experienced longer-than-expected wait times. That would have been me. As we continue the rollout improvements to our server stability, we expect our players to see continued improvements to the queue time. While the teams continue to work this evening and overnight, we will be providing additional updates throughout the evening when needed and no later than tomorrow morning. Uh, here on our forums. Thank you for helping us as we bring Diablo 4 to the world. And we've got a few more things in here about that. Hot fixes went through. I'm just kind of skim for a little bit. And then Filthy Rich, who is a community manager, also said uh, he's here to share updates on the latest hot fix that was pushed earlier that evening. The hot fix contains updates to improve server stability issues. We included an update that is targeted at fixing and improving the queue issues console players have reported on since the early access launch. 
So there's that. So if you were playing and you hadn't looked at that, now you know they were really working hard to make this into a functional beta as much as possible with the first one there. Hopefully they got what they needed. The article I kind of read a little bit from with Joe Shelley and Rod Ferguson, there's probably more in there about, you know, different stuff having to do with that. But um, that's what was happening while we were all sitting in the queue waiting to get in or getting bounced out of the game or whatever. And so it's just, you know, they're not, they weren't ignoring us. They weren't like, you know, not caring if how long we were in queue. They were actively working on it while we were there. And I think that's important to know. There's a website called seasonedgaming.com titled Honest Gaming Journalism. There's an article here from Ainsley Bowden who wrote, Diablo 4 is everything I hoped it would be, parentheses, so far. So I'm going to read you a little bit of this, okay? Uh, Diablo is a franchise that holds a lot of meaning to me. Back in 1997, when the original Diablo launched, I had just secured a monster compact powered by a 166 megahertz Pentium processor, and I was exploring all that that PC gaming had to offer, having grown up playing RPGs of all sorts while enjoying mapping out characters and min-maxing. Diablo struck just the right nerve for me. I spent countless nights sitting in my room late at night battling the hordes of hell. Me too. (laughs) When this came out, um, I played Diablo 1 over and over and over again. And um, just it was just my thing for a very, very long time. Uh, This writer continues, Diablo 2 is quite simply a revelation. Still championed today, it's widely considered the greatest ARPG ever developed. Expectations for Diablo 3 over a decade later then were extremely high. In 2012, I built a new PC just for Diablo 3's launch. And as many recall, was horrified over the next several days as the realization set in that Blizzard had fumbled it badly. The server issues were atrocious. The auction house was an affront to all things ARPG. The loot design was shockingly short sided. Many also took issue with the more artistic, quote, lighter side when compared to Diablo and Diablo 2. Fortunately, a short while later, Blizzard corrected many of their mistakes, and Diablo 3 has since become a tremendous ARPG for the past several years. When a franchise only releases a mainline title once every decade or so, expectations are understandably high. Prior to this past weekend's closed beta, Blizzard had shown a lot of promising design features of Diablo 4, but there were still an awful lot of concerns regarding whether or not they could deliver an ARPG on day one that would that could live up to the ip's illustrious name and so um it's talking about the original beta there's a screenshot here of a barbarian that he's designed and um this kind of thing yeah and it's just kind of talking about what selections he chose um blizzard has done a tremendous job building the backdrop of diablo 4 for fans leading up to the beta and eventual full release in case you've been living under a rock diablo 4 takes place about 30 years after the events of diablo 3 with much of humankind having been killed in the battle between the burning hells and the high heavens lilith the daughter of mephisto lord of hatred and quote mother of sanctuary end quote is whispered to have returned her ability to feed hatred into the the minds of citizens of sanctuary thus driving them to violence is a core theme of the game's dark tone meanwhile anarius formerly an archangel of the high heavens and lilith's one-time love interest also plays a key role it's presumed that he and lilith's feud will be the core backdrop to diablo 4's plot points it goes on from here there's a whole bunch of stuff happening i think there's a I think this person tried co-op with people because there's a picture of what I think is probably his barbarian at the front and three other characters behind him that other people are playing. There's a map. There's all kinds of good stuff in here. Um, So I'm going to recommend you read that one if you want to know more about 
at least this person's experience, and there's a lot of really neat art in there as well. IGN has an article titled Diablo 4 Review in Progress Beta Impressions. This devilishly hypnotic ARPG is extremely impressive so far, even amid live service woes. This is written by Travis Northup. After the calamitous debut of Diablo 3 way back in 2012, it's understandable if you're a little nervous about the upcoming launch of Diablo 4 this spring. But after more than a decade of gradual improvement that has transformed Diablo 3 into the fantastic game it is today, the first beta weekend of Diablo 4 has reassured me that Blizzard has been making good use of those hard-learned lessons for its sequel. Even though this beta weekend only included a level-capped Act 1 and 3 of the classes, so far it has exceeded my expectations in almost every way. There's still a huge amount to see before we get anywhere close to a final review, but I'm already impressed by stellar dark storytelling, the best combat in a Diablo game to date, and a live service foundation that aims to chart out a strong future for the beloved ARPG. Running around as a squad of four and slaying enemies as my ultra-deadly and sneaky rogue has been an absolute blast, and I can't wait to dive back in this weekend. And uh, it goes on from there. I think I've already covered some of the topics and Lilith and all of these things. And there's more lore about Anarius and Lilith. Um, I did do a little podcast side podcast thing that's now up on the Shattered Soulstone uh, main site. If you look for it, um, I think it was called Jen's Lore Corner. And there's stuff in there that um, I've yet to finish, but there's some stuff in there about the really old sanctuary and stuff like that. If you want to know more without reading everything that I've got in here, there's some screenshots in this one as well. This person also made a barbarian. Uh, and, you know, I did for the the original one, the beta, I guess I did. And that was fun. So there we, ha there we have it for that. It, it's a good article. I just don't want to read every, every word to you. If you, you know, maybe you're not as interested as I was in that. I don't know. I think it's interesting. Um, we've got another thing here from Pez Radar. Expectations for the Diablo 4 open beta from March 24 to 26. So here's the expectations, y'all. Thank you to those who participated in the early access beta. Betas are incredibly useful for the development team. They allow us to test things at scale that we cannot test on our own, like server capacity, class balance, usability, accessibility, etc. This information is invaluable, ensuring that your experience at launch is as smooth as it can be. It's also critically important for the development team to hear how players feel about the overall experience of Diablo 4. With your help, we learned a lot during our early access beta weekend. We intend to learn a lot more this weekend during our open beta, and we want, you to t we want to talk to you about what you can expect and how your participation directly impacts Diablo 4 development. One, queue times. When we open the gates again this Friday to absolutely everyone, we are expecting a lot of people. There will be lengthy queue times, particularly on Friday when we first launch and during peak regional windows. This past weekend helped us to forecast the capacity we expect this weekend, and we will be using that capacity to intentionally stress our systems in preparation for a launch. In summary, while we know it can be frustrating, we need queues to properly stress test our services, and we are designing to ensure we have them some of the time. Two, maintenance. As we monitor the population or encounter in-game issues to address, there may be times when we will take the game offline temporarily to deploy infrastructure assess adjustments or fixes. I'm thinking maybe that's what I hit when I was trying to get into the game because it just wasn't, it was just borked on Xbox at that point. Three, bugs and feedback. When you are in game, whether you're continuing to build your character from last weekend, um, what? 
I can do that? I didn't know that. Um, or trying Druid or Necromancer for the first time, we want to hear from you. The team will be monitoring the forums where, the, where there are dedicated sections for bug reporting and technical support for PC and console, as well as general discussion where you can leave feedback around anything Diablo 4. We can't thank you enough by providing feedback, reporting, and patiently waiting in the queues before enjoying Act 1 of Diablo 4. You are helping us to continually improve the game. This past weekend energized the team who were finally able to watch players around the world experience what they had been building firsthand and were excited to see and learn even more during this upcoming open beta weekend. The Diablo team will be playing alongside you this weekend and we look forward to seeing you in Sanctuary. Hail Lilith. That's kind of neat. Wowhead has an article titled Increased Legendary Drop Rate During Diablo 4 Beta Confirmed by Therid. Diablo General Manager Rod Ferguson has confirmed that legendary item drop rates are increased during Diablo 4's open beta test to provide better player and testing ex a better player and testing experience. Ferguson replies to ongoing commentary con community concerns regarding the very high amount of legendaries dropping during last week's early access beta weekend. For perspective, after beating Ashava for the first time, players were rewarded with up to eight or nine legendary items alone, making the overall loot experience experience not so legendary at all says whoever uh, says uh, who wrote this here there it there it wrote this we can also confirm based on our findings during December's PR build play test that drop rates back then were a lot more in line with what you would expect as a measly level 25 character on World Tier 2. That being said, providing players with more ways to get a better understanding of Diablo 4's itemization and gameplay systems during a public beta test seems like a good call by Diablo's development team in general. So get into the open beta this weekend and loot all the legendaries while you still can. And then we have a GameSpot article titled Blizzard Warns of Lengthy Queue Times for Diablo 4 Open Beta. This one's written by Stephen T. Wright. If Diablo 4's open beta is almost... Uh, Diablo 4's open beta is almost here, but if you're itching to play it first thing, you might have to hurry up and wait. In a post on the Blizzard forums from Community Manager... Adam Fletcher, that's Pez Radar. The company says that players should expect lengthy queue times for the beta, especially on Friday, March 24, which is the day it launches. I'm skipping ahead a bit. There are some uh, pictures in here and things like that. Uh, I think there's a video trying to load on my computer that's not loading, and that's fine. Fletcher also notes the game may be taken offline at times in order to push out fixes or infrastructure adjustments. The post concludes by calling for players to report any bugs they encounter in addition to giving general feedback about the game as a whole. This isn't the first time that Blizzard has defended the existence of server queues. Blizzard boss Rod Ferguson spoke out in favor of the practice in an interview with Eurogamer earlier this week, stating that it can be in the best interest of the game because it may be required to keep the game itself from breaking. And we've got another one from GameSpot. When can you play as the Necromancer and Druid? Um, today. Today is when this was written on March 21st, though. But you can play the Necromancer or the Druid in the open beta for Diablo 4. If you can get into the beta, I'm interested in trying to see what the Necromancer can do because it's one of my favorite classes. And then I've got a bunch of videos here, so I'm going to summarize. Uh, Wolf Cryer wrote one called Diablo 4, My Biggest Concern, and it seems that his main concern is about cheaters in the game. And I'll, I'll let you, you know, see that. It'll all be in, linked up on my show notes. Echo Hack has a Diablo 4 beta beta feedback video on YouTube. These are all on YouTube. Um, it looks like Anna Cake. She asked questions of Joe Shelley and Rod Ferguson. So that would be an interesting video as well. It's about half an hour long. It's also on YouTube. And another one from Echo Hack. 
Diablo 4 beta meeting the butcher, and there's a rogue that's geared up fairly well uh, staring out at you in this one. And that's pretty much it. Um, I'm hoping when I'm done putting together show notes and all that, that I'll be able to get into the open beta because it's, you know, I'm on California time. A lot of y'all are probably sleeping, so I'm going to try to get in. And if I can't, then I'm just going to give up again because the game is going to come out in a couple months. I can wait until then if I have to. I don't want to have to. I'd like to try out the Necromancer before then, but we'll see how it goes. And that's all I have right now for this episode. So I'm going to close out the show now. You have been listening to episode 403 of The Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in-game. Our in-game community and clan, both named Shattered Soulstone, are open to anyone who would like to join. Somebody joined just recently when I was playing Diablo 3, so I can't remember the name of the person off the top of my head, but, you know, people join. You can do it too. Uh, you can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page, as well as the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening. Shattered.